0: Change can feel scary, but it can also be exhilarating. A time to stretch our boundaries, embrace new opportunities, and a chance to start something new. Welcome to Business Unknown with me, Dan Nickel, made just for you by BrightRock. The first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Hello and a very warm welcome to another episode of Business Unknown, made just for you by Brightrock. As I meet up with business leaders and entrepreneurs from around South Africa, talk through their life stories, the highs and the lows, and then have a look at the world we find ourselves in today and try and work out how on earth we can get through all of the madness that currently envelops us, particularly from an economic perspective where South Africa has taken a bit of a battering and we've got a lot of work to do to get onto even footing. And my guest today is somebody who's assured me he can fix everything quite simply by the end of our interview, so I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out. He's someone I've known for a long time. He's a good friend of mine. He's somebody who started in a very different world to the one he now inhabits, but is now a CEO, a chairman, an executive, and somebody with a great passion for sport. So he's someone I'm really looking forward to catching up with, just not in South Africa, because we find him in a slightly different part of the world. Before I tell you where, though, let me introduce the uh, chairman of multi-choice, amongst many other titles and a good mate of mine MTS Patel how are you
1: hi Dan how are you nice to see you after a long time
0: it has it has been a long time and I I find you not in South Africa but I find you instead in Oxford at what I would imagine is an enormously proud time for you and the family because it's a rather special occasion for MTS junior
1: yes we don't want to make too much of these things but my oldest son Mohammed who uh, is an associate at Worksman's in Johannesburg, has decided that he wants to further his studies. And he very gratefully got accepted after having applied to do a master's uh, at Oxford University. So, yeah, it's a proud moment for him and a proud moment for us.
0: Oh, Imtiaz, that would make any parent proud, but there's a, an added level for you because if we go back to the start of the Imtiaz Patel journey, everyone knows you now as this corporate titan, but the early days were very different because you were Imtiaz Patel, the teacher, once upon a time.
1: Yeah, Dan, you know, I don't think anybody knows where life's journey will will take you, right? So I grew up in... Apartheid South Africa in a small little place called Swazerenica. We, my grandfather, who was born in South Africa actually, and grandmother was born in South Africa, had opened a business there in 1935. Believe it or not. So went to a a primary school in Swazerenica. I went to the Indian a primary school uh, that was set up by the local community of about 20-odd families. And the school was effectively a little shop uh, in between other shops. So that was our primary school experience. Uh, And obviously, we couldn't play sport for the... Town and yeah, it was a very different, difficult, I guess, a dark time in the life of South Africa and in the life of many uh, millions of people who had dreams and aspirations and just wanted to be normal, I guess, you know. And then ended up in a high school, a so called colored high school in Kimberley, because my father's friend lived there and he said, Don't worry, I'll accommodate you. So we couldn't go to what you call boarding schools and things like that and then ended up at Wurz and then it was a time of deep political turmoil in our country and me not being a real, how shall I say, a political person, uh, fa- found the need to still want to do something to help shape our country or do something for our country or the or, or make some contribution so I ended up making a choice to go and teach in Soweto in 1988 at the so-called private school, which by then had not been private. So that's the environment in which we we grew up. In just for some context,
0: the passion for teaching and the passion for cricket uh, kind of converged because it was that path that led you into first cricket and then into the broader space that you're in now. How did that journey work for you from, from moving out of teaching and, and onto the path that took you to where you are today?
1: My father uh, represented non-white South Africa uh, in cricket. He he played with in many tournaments with the late Basil de Oliveira, and everybody knows Basil de Oliveira's story, and he ended up playing for England, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so he was regarded as one of the better cricketers. In fact, apparently at the same time that Basil went to England, they were thinking about collecting money and sending him, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's a cricket pedigree and a cricket history and cricket is in our genes. And what happened was when I was teaching in, in, in Soweto, Ali Baha had started the cricket development program, taking cricket into the townships, uh, you know, into underprivileged areas. So I used to teach in the morning, and I joined him uh, coaching in the afternoons in this cricket development program in Soweto uh, at various schools. For, so for three years, I I taught in the morning, sold biscuits out of the boot of my car during the breaks, and then I used to coach for Ali in the afternoons. So I used to go from school to school in the townships at different afternoons, you know, spending three four hours coaching in the afternoons. And then in 1991, I joined him full time uh, to run the cricket development program together with Kaya Majola and Hussein Ayub. Uh, yeah, and, and there were heady times because that's the time when cricket unity happened in 1991. And there was this idealistic, passionate time about South Africa and Mandela and what we can do. And we were going to have this beautiful society where everybody was united and everybody was equal, and there were going to be opportunities for everybody. But there were truly heady times, because we had these international tours, we had the development programs, every company was coming in to fund the programs. Uh, We launched mentorship programs, we built facilities in the townships. Uh, Yeah, they were heady days, seriously heady days, and special days, and unique days. And Often, sometimes, when you look back, maybe a bit naive, but the there's a great power in naivety.
0: When you look back at those days, when you look at the, the general feel of a rainbow nation in its formative years, and then you look at South Africa today, which faces some really difficult times, some great challenges. Uh, I won't ask you to put your finger on and say exactly what went wrong. But do you get a sense of, of where we might have lost our way perhaps as a nation?
1: Sure. Dan, there's, there's been too much commentary by people far better equipped and knowledgeable than, than me to... Uh, and I read an article a day about the it went wrong and different people have different views, etc., etc. When you have skepticism and when you have cynicism and when you have a lack of trust and you... and, and those are your starting points, you have no chance, you know. You have no chance. I almost think we need to start again <laughs> and to start again to believe in people's goodness, to start again to believe in, in what is possible. We need to start trusting people and people's credentials. The one thing, and I, I read the news a lot, so every time somebody does some good initiative, there's a thousand people who says, but he or she has an agenda. <laughs> so we we've we become a cynical and a skeptical society, I think you know for a number of reasons, but it doesn't matter The point is you've got to start somewhere and I think we need to start with some basic issues you know
0: the uh, the cynicism and the the, the... Uh, I suppose the, the depression a lot of people have can be offset by good news stories and by looking at some of the the better elements. And uh, it's something we've tried to do in this particular series. And we've spoken to a lot of people whose companies or whose stories have been particularly uplifting. And I think a great South African success story is the story of multi-choice. So let's, uh, let's steer away from the clouds and move out into the sunshine and have a look at this fantastic story because this was a, a company that uh, initially was this small television channel you needed a box, you got open uh, open time for a couple of hours a day and you got super sports an hour or two on a Saturday morning. Uh, and now it's this absolute monster. Uh, when you first moved into that space, uh, did you have a sense of just how big this particular industry was going to become?
1: No. I had an idea that this was sort of a nascent business that had great opportunity, I think. The short answer is No. I'll never forget when I went to a cricket practice one day and that time we were still playing as blacks and whites. And I went to a cricket practice one day and I said to the guys I'm joining... My friends and my sort of fellow cricketers, And I said I'm joining Supersport. It was small. Frankly, it was white. Uh, That's just our history, right? Uh, Every presenter was white. Every manager was white. 99.9% of the people were white. But credit to people like Russell McMillan and Coors Becker and Glenn Marks, who approached me to join them, et cetera, said, we know we need to transform. Uh, we've identified you as somebody... Because I used to negotiate with them. I used to be with Cricket South Africa, doing professional cricket. And I used to negotiate with Ali Bacha the rights with them. So I, we learned to develop a trust and a relationship and, a, you know, when you fought on, you know, commercial issues, etc and the question is we can complain about life but what do you do in your circle of influence so i joined i could be cynical and skeptical or i said not join etc but i joined and and hopefully one then goes with saying with an attitude of saying can i what difference can i make one do, what difference can one make you know we have such opportunity as a country, such opportunity. So, let me give you a practical example. The Supersport guys had a relationship with Ali Bahar. Russell McMillan knew him, same society, old school, Thai syndrome, that kind of thing. They had no relationship with Ivan Cosa. I had a relationship with Ivan Cosa through Supersport United that I looked after, I sat on the board. And within three years, I recognized that this League has got enormous potential. Okay? And in building up the relationship and the trust, I think, with people like Kaiser Mutau and Ivan and all those guys who sat on the PSL Board of Governors, uh, arose an opportunity for us to get the rights. And we got the rights in 2007. Uh, And I think why? The question is... Could my ex-white colleagues have had the kind of trust relationship to be able to do such a deal? Maybe. It would have taken a lot longer. It would have taken a lot more hard work, etc., etc., etc. We also took a bit of a chance, right? So I had to say to my white colleagues, listen, guys, there's an opportunity here. Let's take this chance. There's a market. The net result is, as Corbus Toffberg, who was then the, the acting CEO of NASPES, while Kuz Becker was on a sabbatical, He called it a transformative deal. And we've never looked back because that relationship between us and the PSL and thankfully a very well-run PSL, right? You've never heard a controversy in the PSL for years, many years. In the 13, 14 years we've been partners, never. Not refereeing, nothing. Not an administrative, nothing. Unlike what you're seeing in cricket, et cetera. So we've grown millions of decoders on the back of that. We've opened a completely new market on the back of that. Our business has transformed on the back of that. Obviously, we've done, and our colleagues have done many other things, right? technologically, et cetera, et cetera, But I'm linking that to the fact that we have a wonderful opportunity in our country to embrace our diversity, to embrace our different backgrounds, et cetera and to make that cocktail a powerful cocktail of something positive, not negative. Okay, I'm rambling, sorry. I don't even know if I'm answering your question here, Dan.
0: <laughs> you are indeed, and you're, and you're speaking to some, some really key issues in that broadcast space. Uh, that one is particularly South African. But if we look at, at television as a whole and uh, transformation in a slightly different way, not the traditional South African way, but the transformation of sport, nothing has changed sport like broadcasting and the money that's come into it and how that landscape has shifted entirely. And footballers now have salaries up there with, uh, with multi-choice CEOs. Uh, so It's a very different space. Uh, What about the challenges, though, of of that space? It becomes bigger. There is more money in your time running Supersport, then moving into multi-choices, a broader space. What's been the toughest moment for you?
1: It's a hard question, Dan. I can't tell you anything. Uh, Listen, doing that deal was tough because the narrative was that this white pay TV company is taking soccer away from the people it went up to cabinet, it went up to the president, um, Becky at that stage, the minister in the presidency, Esau were. Oh, it went on for months. I'll never forget, there was one weekend, I came home on a Friday night from the office. I said to my wife, pack your bag. I got into my car and she said, where are we going? I said, we'll decide when we're on the highway. And it was like 7 p.m. and I ended up in hazy view. <laughs> just needed to get out of town and like, yeah, they were okay. So, it was hard. But I don't think hard means bad. Hard often leads to something powerful. Nothing big or nothing of consequence is achieved without hard. I don't believe that. It can't be, okay? If you think of… and listen, we are minuscule. We don't even count. We don't appear on the radar of people who've done great things, right? But if you ask the people like Adrian Gore and Kurz Becker and the people of BirdVest and, you know, the great leaders of our country, right, nothing great has been achieved. Even our politicians, right, without hard. It's hard. So we were fortunate to come in when it wasn't that hard, frankly. We did a few hard things, okay, but of a wonderful foundation.
0: The story of multi choice of Mnet and Supersport goes well beyond South Africa. I want to have a, a quick chat about that. While we do, though, uh, as we have with every week, we share a meal. Uh, this meal is a little different because MTL's is sitting in Oxford and I am sitting here. Uh, we've both got a plate of Nando's. I'm going to have a, a taste of mine in, in just a moment. And it's a, a staple South African classic you find all over the world. And there's a nice parallel there for me because uh, Nando's has become such a great success story all over the world, just as multi choice has become so successful eh, beyond just South African borders. That move into the rest of Africa, discovering the world beyond South Africa, which is very different to, to what we know here, uh, must have also had its challenges, but exciting. Tell us uh, a little bit about the, the DSTV journey across the continent.
1: Yeah, they were, again, this is just visionary, Becker stuff. Uh, people like Nololo Taylor, who's our ex chairman, went into the rest of the continent when it was unfashionable, when nobody believed that there was a market, and essentially built up the the DSTV business uh, in the rest of the continent. We operate in 50 countries, uh, sub-Saharan Africa, so more or less the top of Nigeria all the way down. We have JVs, we have franchises. uh, uh, The rest of Africa is not for sissies. It's tough. We used to make a lot of money, good money, pre-2015. Then we had a commodity crisis and a currency crisis. And that was the time when I took over from Jim Folkwain, from the South African business into the rest of Africa business. And I'll never forget that I took over in October 2015 when this business was just going down, 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 and we were losing money. And I'm talking big money, hundreds of millions of dollars. And I used to wake up in a cold sweat and say to my wife, I don't know how we're going to do this. i uh, like, what have I done here taking on this job, right? Uh, but we, we operate in 20 million homes in the rest of Africa, in, in all of Africa, sub-Saharan Africa. We entertain people. I mean, think of your life without DSTV, frankly, okay? And I am sitting here in the UK, and there are many days when I think I wish I could bring every South African who complains about DSTV and say, come and have a look. Because the South Africans who live here, when I talk to them, say, I miss Supersport, I miss DSTV, I must right? Notwithstanding the fact that our industry is at a very interesting intersection with over-the-top players and Netflix and Amazon and all of those kind of things. But I think we provide a product which is on par, if not superior, to any other similar product in the rest of the world. And I'm really proud of that. And we have people who... I mean, we're launching a decoder shortly. And I asked the guys to compare that decoder to the -the state-of-the-art best decoder in the world, which is called SkyQ here in, in, in the UK. And it rates, absolutely. What does that tell you about Africa? What does it tell you about the talent that we have, right? When it's tough to do something and you get it right, it creates a natural moat. Because it's very hard. If if Dan Nichol has done something that everybody says, no way, this is too hard to do, and he conquers it and does it, there are very few people going to follow him. You then create a natural moat, right? And that becomes a very big differentiator, okay? It's changing with technology and broadband and all of that kind of thing. But this is a 25-year story. So, 25 years ago, our previous leadership had a vision to say, I'm going to start a business in Nigeria. Who would have thought of that? It's just like, you'll say, these guys are crazy. I'm going to start a business in Zambia. I'm going to start a business in Kenya. It's crazy. It was unthinkable, right? So, that's many South African business people have been visionaries in that way. And there's something... I'd like to understand it. What is in the DNA of the South African, well, a certain portion of the South African education or the certain portion of the opportunity that has been created for certain South Africans that we've created the course backers of this world, the Johan Ruperts of this world, the Elon Musks of this world, who've gone out and just like conquered the world. Where does that come from? And perhaps a study, then there's some work for you to do.
0: Well, I, I think we might include you in that study as well, too no. because you've a big part of that success story. You've touched a couple of times on what I think is, is such an important and interesting and challenging area of broadcasting. When you kicked off 25 years ago, it was Mnet versus SABC, and that was kind of it. ETV came on board a little while later, and you had one or two other small players. But now it's, it's not just an SABC or an ETV. It's everybody with a smartphone in their pocket who's putting something up on YouTube. Every brand has become a content producer. Every sports team has become a content producer. It means that for me as the consumer, I've got so much choice. But for you as a multi-choice platform, you've now got challenges coming in from all over the place. In all sorts of different ways. How do you approach that sort of challenge as a company? And how do you stay agile as such a big company to deal with what are often very small opponents or competitors trying to take just a little bit of your market here and there?
1: Yeah, I know it's a great question. Uh and something that occupies our mind plenty. Uh, And I was meeting with my sky colleagues last week, and it's it's a question occupying everybody's mind in the world. Now, Firstly, let me say, I wish our regulators would recognize that because they still think we, you know, that those people are not competition. They are serious competition. You've got YouTube, you've got Netflix, you've got Amazon, you've got Disney+, Plus, uh, you've got Hulu, you've got a million other people, Peacock, you've got and everybody and some local players like Mew, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the, can we reinvent ourselves is the big question. Can an organization that has been immensely successful uh, disrupt itself is the big question. Can we embrace the new? Can we say that this thing that's wonderfully successful and profitable, we're happy to disrupt it and go into a new world, okay? The world is there, the commitment is there, the DNA is there. In many ways, it's the how. It's a challenge faced by every broadcaster in the world. It, absolutely in the world. But executing on that, building on that is, is... And, by the way, broadband is a long way off, proper broadband in, in Africa, frankly. Unfortunately, but a long way off. So we have a long runway. We currently have 20 million customers. The market is probably 50 million customers who can afford our products, okay? Long runway, okay? We need to capture that and capture that really quickly.
0: I want to go into the future in just a moment as a closing question. But before I do that, a a penultimate one. Do you have a a slightly more personal nature? Uh, We know a very special time for for your son this week. You've also referenced Mrs Patel on a a number of occasions. You've got this uh, incredible job that sees you travel the world. You run this massive organization working with Maldi Choice, a lot of work with Naspers. How important has it been to have that family life, to have your wife, to, to have people around you who've given you a sense of balance, who've reminded you that there is more to the world than just this, uh, this business empire that you're part of?
1: Yeah, the short answer is one wouldn't survive if you didn't have a partner or a family structure that was supportive, that was independent, that was robust, that was questioning, that was intellectually stimulating, and was happy to be part of a journey, right? So, yeah, some people are not that fortunate. Uh, I've been super fortunate and obviously very grateful.
0: You'll have that support and you'll need that support over the coming years because you've already spoken of the challenges that your platform has, but you've also spoken about how anything hard uh, can lead to to great opportunity. And I think that's gonna be the case for the multi-choice and the DSTV platform. Uh, a similar question to the one I asked Jeremy Ord last week on the show. I asked him if in five years' time we had a, a similar conversation, if I wanted to get hold of him to come around for dinner, how we'd be getting in touch with each other. Fast forward to 2025. What am I watching? How am I watching? How is my media consumed? Uh, what does the, the soothsayer in MTR's Patel suggest might be the, the television, if it is even a television landscape, in five years' time?
1: Hmm, hard question. You know, things take a long time to change, and when they change, they eventually change quickly. Uh, I think you'll have multiple devices. You'll have personalized content. We will spend a lot more time talking to each other like this. Uh, I don't think you can discount the personal touch, though. And we've experienced it now in COVID. So, I think... Yeah, Multi-Choice will be around and it's going to be part of something much bigger
0: with the guiding hand of Imtiaz Patel pushing it firmly in that direction. It's interesting you mentioned the personal touch because that was exactly what Jeremy said. He said, rather than uh, chatting over a screen, he'd love to be sitting down around the table over a nice meal. Uh, and I think striking that balance is going to be all important over the next few days. As he's getting started.: This Africa. thing
1: creates, this thing kills creativity. It create. it kills ideas. Because this is a transactional conversation, Dan. If you and I were sitting in an nandos, unconstrained by time, and allowed the conversation to drift, I can give you a guarantee you, you and I would have thought of three ideas, okay, about your show and what we could do with it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that you could never have in this environment, never. So the more I've thought about COVID and the more I thought about everybody saying this is the new way, the more skeptical I've become. So this will be a tool. It will be a tool. It will be an enabler. It will be a convenience thing. But it's not going to be the dominant thing. It shouldn't be the dominant thing in in my view.
0: I agree entirely. It's a perspective I share. And so uh, I look forward to scheduling that long lunch at Nando's uh, as we discuss my new reality show in the Maldives, which I'm very excited about multi choice funding. I haven't got any details yet, it just involves me being there. (laughs) Uh, MTS, uh, we've, uh, we've been friends for many years now and it's always a pleasure spending time with you congratulations on the family achievement this week I know how much it'll mean to you uh, but congratulations also on a, a terrific career being part of a wonderful South African success story and a success story I'm delighted to shine a little bit of light on today because at this time in South Africa with all of our challenges and all of the hurdles we have to overcome I think it's really important to remind us as you've done so vividly through the course of our uh, meeting and our time together today that South Africans really are capable of great things.
1: Dan, thank you very much and well done on your show. Uh, I know we had many conversations about it. I've watched it a few times, even out of Dubai. You've got a great show. You've got a wonderful personality. You have uh, a way to disarm people and uh, to get them to say things that I don't think they intend saying. And I (laughs) think you're not a great MC when it comes to golf events, though. I'm just lying <laughs> but uh, you've become a, a big part of South African life, and you have a positive attitude, and I hope you will use continue to use this platform and your powerful personal uh, standing and gravitas to unite people and to continue to see positive things and uh, uh, yeah, and to help build the country. So well done to you.
0: Very kind of you, MTS. Thank you. And uh, that's exactly what I'll continue to do because as with MTS, I love South Africa, I love the people and I think we do have a fantastic, fantastic country. And we've seen a great example of that today on this week's episode of Business Unknown made just for you by Brightrock. My guest, the executive chairman of MultiChoice and I think he's still the head of cricket technically, uh, watches all of it very passionately and uh, a great guest to have. I'll be back with another fantastic guest next week as we talk to somebody else on the South African business landscape who's had a huge impact, made a big difference and has some wonderful stories to tell. This has been Business Unknown made just for you by Brightrock. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Business Unknown with Dan Nichol. This show was made just for you by Brightrock. The first ever needs matched life insurance that changes as your life changes.